culture thrives when discussions about what is true, what is just, and what is beautiful is remembered as an ongoing, never-ending, never-complete conversation. To quote Milton, by the known rules of ancient liberty, welcome to Risky Conversations. I am your co-host, Ember Sadat. Join me and my co-host, Ace Deliri, as we engage in this ancient tradition of discussions around interesting topics with utterly fascinating people. Welcome to Risky Conversations, Stefan. Please give our uh, audience your introduction and we'll get started. All right. Thank you very much, Ace Ember. Um, yeah, my name is Stefan Gasic. Um, Basically, what I do is uh, currently I'm a private banker at uh, Scandinavia's largest bank here in Oulu, Finland. If you don't know where Oulu is, you're not you're not the only one. Um, but if you know where Helsinki is, it helps a lot because uh, Oulu is 600 kilometers up north from that. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's the fourth largest city in Finland, okay. which wow. sounds better than it actually is. But you know, you have 150 <laughs> people, 150,000 people living here, and if you take all the neighborhoods and stuff, it's like 250,000. And my area, just to give you a sense of proportion, is my area is, um, or our, our units, our banking units in Oulu, is, um, private banking units, uh, area that we cover in Oulu is uh, basically Lapland and uh, Eastern Finland and Northern Finland. It's, it's approximately three to four times as large as Denmark. So there's a lot of driving around. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So that, that must be fun during the winter, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh better is actually better because it's snow on the ground you can actually see something uh, the worst part is november you know um i have clients away that like i uh, have to drive two three hours straight and then back um but i, I like it because uh, i like it because uh, i i have actually to do with lots of entrepreneurs and uh, there's not in my territory we don't have that much old money you know, that, uh, when you think of private banking, is that uh, you usually think about that slick Swiss banker, right? Right. Uh, yeah, who who uh, just kind of takes care of everybody's money uh, from the states. Uh, well, not so much in the states anymore after 2008, but um, uh, from from the Asians and stuff like that, the Germans, the France, and, and then just flies in a jet or helicopter or to Davos, etc., etc., Zurich, Geneva. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I we had no like that. <laughs> I don't do anything like that. Um, you, it's always like what they show you as what a spy does on on the movies, but in real life they're just mostly sitting there reading reports, trying to figure out making connections, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. This is this is this is actual work. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's fun. I like it because um, I used to to continue with the introduction. Um, Basically, um, I've been working in, in wealth management or, or finance or trading for my entire adult life. Okay. Uh, um, I started, um, I did my BBA. We usually don't have the same system as, as you in the in North America, but uh, I did have a schooling opportunity to do a BBA and then afterwards an MBA. Okay. So I started the BBA and got a job at, in, in Zurich. Uh, working for for UBS and the Mergers and Acquisitions Department, I was twenty something, young, uh, still good looking. <laughs> uh, um, it was fun. I, I always wanted to be an investment bank. You know, this is I always wanted to invest in investment. Okay, mostly, and that's this is the sad part because it sounded sexy, right? Everybody wanted to do <laughs> investment banking, the, right? But very quickly find out, no. 
this is this is this is not real work because mm -hmm. what you basically do is you do PowerPoint uh, presentations, you do uh, Excels and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, basically just they give you a target price. For for for, for instance, if you, if there's something that they want to buy or sell, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's always the banker usually has some sort of a target price in mind or, or, or some sort of end result in mind and you just kind of uh, tweak the numbers in that direction that always kind of neatly lines up to that endpoint. That wasn't really that intellectually stimulating. It was interesting work though. Zurich is a fine place. You know, Zurich is a fine place and the best part about investment banking, you learn all the skills for PowerPoints and Excel and Word and stuff, which you don't really learn in, in going to university or, or, or college. So, so, so that, see that that I'm completely shocked and amazed by this because I actually thought that um, uh, I didn't really know exactly what it is that you you did for um, a living. I just knew you through your amazing comic strips because I'm a big fan. So we were actually, and I was always curious. I'm like, how come almost all the stuff that you do is related to finance stuff? But now we have answers. So I feel really, ah, uh, yeah. it's like the circle has been uh, completed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still digging a little bit deeper because you need to know, the thing with comics, I'm jumping mm -hmm. around. Yes, but the thing with comics, Yeah, the thing with comics is that... Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of of Scott Adams. Uh, if you know, if you uh, listen yeah. to any of his podcasts, he's, yes, he's, yes. Uh, he's very good. It's very good. Um, I like it. Uh, also, a big, big fan of Bill Watterson and and then a Spanish guy Fernandez. Uh, he drew clever and smart. And like I drew these inspirations from many sources, but Scott Adams was one of the biggest ones, and he kind of nailed it pretty well that in comics the trick is to to relate to real life and then mm. uh to make it as simple as possible mm. and now any mundane task if you make it as simple as possible it's it's kind of funny yeah? <laughs> right but it sounds easy but surprisingly hard to do so i i kind of wanted to end because I've, i worked in finance like i said all my life and uh, from all kinds of perspectives. Mm. But uh, the, the thing that uh, that's funny is that you, you really need to know your shit, so to speak, before right. you can write about it. Right. So, well, you know, it, it reminds me of when, when you stated about how complicated it is. I always remember the, um, the quote from Jack Kerouac, which is that one day I will find the right words and they will be simple. And it's, 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 it's very difficult to do it that way. And, and one of the things like uh, I find uh, interesting about your work is it's kind of like poetry. And what, by, what I mean by that is that a poem is a very unique artifact of humanity in the following sense. Like you can write a book and the book could be as long as War and Peace going on for thousands of pages. Right. Or you can write a poem where you have a budget of how many words you can use. And you have to be very judicious in terms of what words you select and what emotions you want to evoke and how if you do that well, it becomes timeless. And so the, the comic strip in that regard is the same way, because what you do is you just take the absurdity of what people's assumptions are and then you illustrate it for them. And you just put a little story to it that allows everybody else to see and everybody's all of a sudden in on the joke. And that's what I like about what you do. You bring people in on the joke so that they don't feel like they're being laughed at when reality smacks them hard because of a financial downturn. 
that's, I like how you put it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's more beautiful the way you said it, <laughs> to be quite frank. Um, I, like, I, I know that you like poetry. I've never been a real big poetry fan, but I appreciate totally what they're doing because it's exactly like that. Because they don't um, they have a bigger vocabulary than I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, this, is, this is not my first language, but I, I, find, I, find English, um, I find English a super language to write. Mm. Just basically for the for the one thing for the fact that uh, it has so many synonyms or right. right? And for instance, German or which is I, I have two languages that I speak as a mother tongue as the Finnish and German. Mm. And uh, uh, German is long as is Finnish, and mm. they don't have that. So the opportunity to make uh, to to kind of twist it around or find the right word mm. uh, is the key. My process. The, the biggest process, uh, or the biggest time I usually spend with my cartoons mm. is, is with the writing. Mm. It's also something that I learned the hard way. I always thought that, okay, I've been drawing my whole life. Mm. Uh, I always found it really, well, I, I found it magical in some sense that uh, you can create something from nothing. And, right. Uh, yeah, and I've, I've, that's beautiful in a sense. But I always thought it's about the, about the, about the drawing. If I could draw really, really well, right, then everybody <laughs> would be interested, right? But right. You have to realize the fact that there's so many really good artists out there, mm. and and I, I I can't compete with that. There's there's no way to compete with that. Plus, you also have it that uh, even if the drawing is fantastic, but the story mm. sucks, it still <laughs> sucks. Right. Okay? Right. Right. So, right. And the other, if you twist it around, mm. if the story is good. Your drawing can suck. It's still great. Right. So kind of, in the sense I'm an old school cartoonist that I like to my drawings to be crisp and neat. Mm. Um, but I don't want to waste too much time on them, you know. Right. For instance, drawing uh, drawing the same guy all over again, it's just mm. tedious work. Or for instance, backgrounds. Mm. You can spend hours on that, even on a, a three or four panel um, comic strip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, but but I I found ways. Can talk about that. But I found oh. ways. No, yeah. for sure. See, when I hear you speak, I, I I'm reminded of this little joke that uh, me and a couple of buddies have, which is that we always like to quote the Austrian uh, economist Hayek, but <laughs> we always always put a picture of Selma Hayek uh, before the quote. So it's like, come for <laughs> come for the picture, stay for the quote, right? And, and uh, <laughs> what ended up happening was after a while. Uh, a few people were messaging me. They're like, I had no idea Salma Hayek was so intellectually um, <laughs> engaged in economics and world affairs. And, and it turned into a, a second layer in, inside joke, right? So, so oh, that's a fantastic joke. <laughs> and now I can get rid of that picture, man. <laughs> right? That's the beauty. That's right. That's it's become right. a meme into your mind. We've just stamped it in there for you. Hey, hey you're always good with me. That's Stalin, right? It's just a blast. I, I laugh for hours. <laughs> really. <laughs> Well, I appreciate um, that, but no. But see, here's the thing that I like. I find about about your work, right? So w- what it is is, there's two types of uh, of works that people produce. There's flash in the pen, which is kind of like okay, it's something that's kind of interesting for the for the minute, and then you completely forget it like it never existed. And then there's works that are so good and they're so pure that it doesn't get appreciated instantly because what it needs is it needs what we call a stepper function, and that's what we try to do. So for example, when we have Joe on the podcast or when we have Paul or Mike or, or, or other people, they bring such a wealth of knowledge 
to the actual conversation, that it's our, it's our job to actually parse that and say, this is why it's interesting, this is why it's important. And your work is exactly perfectly molded into that, which is why I was so excited to have you on, because what you do is you take a complicated concept, like I was just reading your book that uh, I recently grabbed from uh, from you, which was Thank the you very idea much of, for that, by the way. No, yeah. no problem. My pleasure. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I love the example of, you know, what is a black swan? It's uh, something that's predictable after the fact. And it's like you're, you're, you're starting to show how people think, because when they read things, they think, oh, I've read the black swan or, or, or some of the worst offenders of this particular faux pas, in my opinion, are people who memorize the works as opposed to understanding the works. And that's how yeah. you can usually tell. I'm like, you're a person who understands it versus you're a person who's memorized it. So you can quote it back to me verbatim. And that doesn't mean that you've really understood something because it just means that you've intellectually engaged a part of your brain that's exactly. turned into memory. And I don't, I don't appreciate that. I like people who can take a concept and say, okay, look, we're going to transpose this idea into a different domain and show you how they're actually interconnected. And that's what your comic books do. And I really love that work. And I, and I, and I, and I'm, I happily, happily encourage others to, you know, just check a few of them out. And sometimes when you get stuck on a, on a particular idea, uh, a comic strip version of it really actually just simplifies it to the point where you go, aha, now I got it. And you could just move forward in that path. I really, I really, really appreciate that. Because uh, this, is, this is exactly the kind of feedback. This, this kind of feedback keeps me going. Because, uh, because I, I see the same, uh, the same thing in your work, like I told before before you started recording uh, it's like uh, um, you do you do something interesting you do something interesting you put your heart into it it's not just for show and um, yeah and and I don't mind I don't mind if anything is perfect not, none of my comments are perfect I don't, perfection is a disease I don't like that uh, right yeah, so, so I strive for perfection but I'm okay with bullshit right uh, as long as, as long as it chuckle uh, as long as it makes me chuckle or I feel of have, I have a feeling in my stomach so to say I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't release any comics that I that have made at least me <laughs> me a little bit chuckle, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing is with that because uh, building an audience takes time. It does. So if you if you well, my project, for instance, the underlying thing why I keep doing this is feedback like this. Mm-hmm. But why I started wasn't I wasn't expecting feedback like this. I was just like, you know, let's do something fun, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know. Continuing with my career, started an investment bank. Uh, then I I went into trading for a while because mm. investment banking is, is yeah, well, there's no nice words. Um, <laughs> I went into trading. I got an I got an offer to to go into trading. I was 24, mm. and that's why that's why I appreciated that uh, podcast with Paul Paul Portesi. It sure. reminded me so much of my own time. It was well hilarious to listen to that stuff and just recap. Uh, I just went in, had no idea what trading is. I just said, sure, I can't do it. No problem. Because it's not as if uh, you go to trading after uh, reading trading theory. This is, right. There's no such thing. Right. It, it's the other way around. Yeah. Right. Uh, they, they, it's like, uh, what's it? There's a Finnish, there's a good Finnish word for it, but it lacks a, uh, a good English version for them. What, mm. um, um, you know, when you send soldiers into, into the front, and they, most of them die, but you just have to keep them to keep the front. Trading is like <laughs> there's lots and lots of uh, um, uh, churn. The churn rate is real high. And I went into that, and they knew that I'm a newbie, mm. but I had a really good boss, Petri Sindar, really mm. good boss, and uh, he was tough. And the first year, he just kind of uh, 
sit next to him and take his trades and you listen to it and you observe and and his handwriting was terrible absolutely terrible you just had to figure it out it's like with the hieroglyphs right and the pyramids right. And, right, right. And, and if you fuck it up it's going to cost the firm a lot of money because right. if, if a trade is hanging because this was 98 until 2002 so it was the tech com bubble mm. and finland really big involved in tech combo with Nokia, Telia Sonas and the other ones. Right. And, um, so we had a hectic time. It was super for, for a young for a young guy full of energy and, and no family. Yeah. Right. This is nothing. Um, I went to Helsinki and uh, we started I started there and from scratch and I remember the first year was the first half years I saw repeatedly only trading dreams about uh, making mistakes on, on the buy side or sell side. Because you have to remember that we had, our clients were like uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and stuff like that. They, could, they couldn't trade on their own. They had to go through a finished broker. That was the law at the time. I right. very proper. But uh, so I did that for a year and then they let me loose. Mm. And uh, I got my own clients. I got an opportunity, somebody left. So I took over her clients, and uh, it was Goldman Sachs, it was a big client, mm-hmm. and uh, just gave it to a 24, 25-year-old. <laughs> what was that like? What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Um, and I, 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 I took the whole year and didn't make that many mistakes, I guess. And uh, I remember that feeling. Uh, you're really alive. Uh, you're alert, and uh, you just, I just, this is an opportunity that I cannot just drop. And I no, started, and uh, the trading was heavy, and it, the trading was, um, and we traded, we had no bathroom break, there was no chance for that. <laughs> Did you I wear di- it, uh, adult diapers? Just to yeah, no, no, after, after one year, you kind of relax into it. <laughs> you know, repeated nightmares, and I, wrote, I remember I was strong high, I was strong mm-hmm. high, but you know why I did it? Why is that? The money was good. Of course. You know. Money was really good, and it was exciting too. So, uh, if, if taking that combination, but uh, you know, it's very, really stressful. I remember a guy, uh, a friend of mine, he called, and I was going to the post after the same time. He called me and we chatted, and uh, there was a line, and uh, it blew a circuit because I had to wait. Right? That's what you do at a trading trading desk. You just kind of yell at each other, and uh, and then he said, "Hey, Stefan, relax." You need to really relax. I can't. That hit me hard because if a, if a buddy of yours tells you to relax, then mm. then something's something's going on. Mm. Well, the, the trading was good and for three or four years, uh, but then to, after 2001, after the burst, then we had all the bathroom breaks in the world. So it it just completely died. <laughs> Your bladder must have been very grateful. Well, I was I was grateful. Yeah, the timing was good. Um, I, I had a I had a slice of the company, and they they bought us out, uh, made some money there. Excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's not fuck you money, but maybe so <laughs> darn you or, or or the heck with you. That's, sort of. That's good. That's a good starting. That's a good starting point. Start. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a start. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, then I had to. I went. I came back here to Olu, where my family is. Um, had a young wife. And uh, we kind of contemplated what to do. And right. I just wanted to, I wanted to get out of Helsinki for a while. And uh, then I started, okay, uh, 
the recession was going on, there were not many jobs available. So I said, ah, let's go study. And I studied for an MBA. Uh, just, right. you know, at the Helsinki School of Economics. Right on. You know, it's a very, it's a very good school at the time, uh, at least at the time. I think it still is, but it's getting more expensive. An MBA costs usually like what in the States, like 100,000 euros. Uh, just, just about. I think so. Uh, takes two years. This one costs like below 20,000. And has That's a good not bad. It's not bad. No, it's actually very good because the professors came from the States, from MIT, UCLA and stuff like that. They, they did like two or three weeks at, um, on a t- at a time. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And no uh, they just kind of uh, moved on. And we did one course for the two, three weeks and then moved to the next course, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until we were done. So was it focused on mostly finance or like overall? Because I know there's different streams even in the IBA, in the MBA league as to what it is you want to go in with. Uh, it was focused on uh, the, you had marketing or finance or I don't remember the rest, uh, but I, I took like finance mm-hmm. again because it kind of sounded cool and you had <clears throat> it was easier to get jobs that way. I'm I, I'm a practical guy that says with with MBAs, your schooling still looks good on paper, you know, and you <laughs> can put your you, you get your feet between the door, uh, but then it's after that it's really up to you. Right. Yeah. So the best part about that is that you have to had to do an exchange. So and I knew that they had a really good exchange school in Switzerland in St. Gallen. And that's like the, the university at St. Gallen is like Harvard or something like in, in the States. And um, <clears throat> I did that for, for six months. Right. So really easy to get jobs after that. Um, of course. So, so yeah, I stayed. With, yeah. I stayed at the uh, at the um, oldest bank in Switzerland at the time, Privatbank, mm. local bank, um, um, many hundreds of years of old, and um, interviewed there. And they gave me the job, and I started in the in the uh, equity and analysis business. My job left. They gave the they gave the position to me and uh, a German guy, Holger, a good friend mm. of mine. Mm. And, uh, we let uh, we let the equities research team and um, did that for a few years, and then uh, my wife got pregnant with our firstborn son. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> things change. I tell you, you get kids, things change. But you know that everybody knows that. But you know, I wasn't prepared at all. And uh, yeah, no. uh, it's, it's it's fun. Okay, kids and family are fun. It's the most important thing in life. Um, but if you're unprepared, like for the first one, I thought that, okay, <clears throat> you go to work at seven, mm. you have a long lunch. Right. And, and then uh, and then you come home at after six or seven. So it's that those are no hours for, 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 for a family man. No, of course not. And, uh, Sanna was staying in Switzerland with Luca, her first woman, a one-year-old, no friends, um, just came from Finland. Mm. No friends, uh, no, no backup. Uh, our parents flew every now and then to visit us, sort of. And uh, that, well, tough. <clears throat> that was tough. Not tough for me because uh, you know I was at the work with my colleagues and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but tough for her. And she, <laughs> she let me, she let me know it after one year. She gave me an ultimatum. Right. Mm. We're going to Finland. Find yourself right. a job there. Right. <laughs> and that was it. Uh, okay, let's do that. I, I was 
I was assuming, okay, let's go back to Helsinki because that's where the jobs are. But uh, I made connections to Oulu's private bank's boss, which is actually the best boss I've ever had, Hanna Lappalainen. Mm. And he's still my boss. And uh, he, at the, exactly the same time I was contemplating going back to Finland and which route to take, he mm. sent me for paper that there's a there's an opening come up. You should apply. Mm. So, I, so I applied and uh, got the job. And now I've been doing that for the last 11 years here in private banking for private clients or corporations or <coughs> that kind of stuff here in, uh, in Oulu for 11 years. Wow. So you've had quite <coughs> the experience within the banking sector. So I think we had a question here for you from Ember. So go ahead, Ember. So how does your uh, colleagues react to your comics? My colleagues, they love them. <laughs> they, they, they love them, especially, okay, the hardest jokes to get, even for, 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 for the Twitter gang that I include you guys into as well, are the compliance guys. Mm-hmm. But bankers love the compliance jokes because they hate compliance. <laughs> Uh, it's after the after 2008 regulations is it just increased massively and still doing it mm. and uh, what it means there's a sort of a a change period where you have to adjust adjustment period you, mm. you have to get <clears throat> used to not doing business as you used to do it right uh, kinds of roles all kinds of watchers watching you over and you you know that that they're acronyms you wouldn't even understand like KYCs or SRIs or whatever and <laughs> You're just not interested, right? As a right. banker, you just want to have your connection with your clients. <coughs> Keep going. Right. But but, but I can't. Uh, but the bank, a bank cannot uh, keep going unless they um, comply with all the new regulations. They, they they don't have a license, so I wouldn't have a job. So I have to. I'm forced to do that, and uh, everybody's forced to do that. And uh, it's it's getting way better now. But at the beginning, it was just like, hey, now you have to do this plus what you already did. Uh, so so and if you, for if the you same get an pay. ultimate yeah yeah exactly for the same <laughs> pay like there's, there's no extra bonus or whatever and uh, so y- y- you see how you might not like that right so, right. so i got lots and lots of, I, I, I don't have i haven't done uh, compliance comics for a while but at that mo- at that time i did them a lot and he's that uh, he's that guy with the with the goalie mask and the chainsaw the butcher yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very, very popular amongst bank uh, bankers. But otherwise, um, <laughs> yeah, and the, the trader stuff is is more more um, universals for 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 everybody. Like that. Right. Well, no. See, what what I found fascinating about this stuff is that um, from the outside, everything looks interesting and fascinating and amazing, and then you get on the inside. And it's just like this sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the house looks gorgeous from the outside. But when you walk inside, all you see is roaches and rats and you mm. try to express that idea to the people still on the outside, uh, ooing eyeing. And sometimes I find that because a lot of the I was almost in the, in the same stream uh, as you guys went down. Um, I was going to go into finance and go into um, uh, the banking world and all that stuff, because when I was a personal trainer, the vast mm. majority of my clients were. Uh, finance guys, because uh, at the time that I was working at the gym, my rate was the highest in Canada. And so only the very top people can actually afford it and without actually flinching. So it, it always ended up being 90% of my clients were bankers. 
And uh, with my skill set at the time, I was studying business in school. So they wanted to bring me into that world. Um, so what ended up happening was that uh, uh, we, you know, I, I kind of started to see what was going on from the inside stories. And the more yeah. I saw, the less I was interested. And it's True. always been enforced with what, uh, you know, Paul's conversation and yourself, as, as well as um, uh, some of the other guys. So what I find fascinating with your work is that you found a way to express to the outside world what's going on on the inside without... And I think this is the, the crucial difference between people who write comic strips and, and people who uh, do it as a form of art. And I, and I consider your work art in the following sense. It's always about the intention behind it, right? Some people exactly. will draw a mean caricature because they want to, uh, they have an axe to grind. You don't come across that way. Your work never comes across as a form of grinding an axe to show your superiority over others or to make other people feel inferior because of the line of work they're in. What you're really doing is you're just saying, here's the adjacent possible of what it is you think you're doing. Right? Here's how people model things. And here's how ch data cherry picking works into that mindset. And it's all a perspective that is very much detached from personal attack, which is what I think is really interesting and fascinating about the way you do your work. It's true. I, I don't I don't have anybody. I don't. I love people, to be frank, and I understand. I understand. I understand the point of view of everybody, even a compliance officer. Um, it's it's just in the, the system is just built that say the incentives are aligned in that kind of order that even decent and funny and and gorgeous people do funny stuff, you know. And I and I just want to underline that. Right. And I never. I I thought I mean comics. I could do that. I could easily do that. But I don't think this. It's not funny. Uh, it's just not funny. You have to find another twist to it. Right. Uh, the, and the best way I find twists is usually <clears throat> um, when I write stuff. I, I I need I need some sort of a, a stressor, right? So so something interesting happens. That's why, for instance, Twitter is real great, especially uh, Taleb's Twitter feed. And, right. Uh, and uh, because. It, he finds stuff that's interesting, and then you kind of feel it yourself, and, and then you see it. For instance, a mundane issue like IQ, right? Mm. I always mm. thought mega boring, right? <laughs> a, it's, it's, it's okay. Somebody has a high IQ, and somebody has not a high IQ. And, uh, okay, that's that's how you measure intelligence. Oh, fuck that. It's like, <laughs> when you read it, yeah, if it, once you read, once you get into it, uh, it, it gets like uh, really, really interesting, and I say, hey, it's not this clear cut. It's not it's not this clear cut at all. So, and then then you get these inter these these feelings that you have to just write about. Same with compliance. Same with trading. Same with uh, bankers in Switzerland, mm. and etc. 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 Thing I wanted to do with my comic though is when I when I started was just that um, the, the the main goal was just you know have fun again. Right. At, at, right, right, at right. that stuff, and then. Uh, then I decided, okay, well, let's do it. Let's try. Let's try to make a comic strip. I, I, I thought about that thing for a few years. Uh, we did a comic strip actually with another an MBA guy, uh, a, a good college buddy of mine, who lives in Helsinki, successful entrepreneur, actually sports agent. And uh, he wanted me to write. He had some comic ideas, and he needed somebody who could draw, and he knew me, so we kind of collaborated for a while. And well, we did a few comics, uh, maybe 50 or so, uh, but it was tedious work. And mm. At some point, it just kind of, you know, uh, the energy went out of it. Right. But anyway, I got it. I got a spark from it. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll do my own. Instead of 
just uh, illustrating somebody else's stories because he did the stories and I did the drawings, illustrations. Mm. Let's, do the, let's do the whole shebang myself. And uh, then I kind of thought about, okay, what do I know? You know, because I could, you can write a comic about cheese or, 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 or politics or whatever, uh, or go the mainstream, like uh, family stuff. And that. But the competition in that is really hard. And I'm not that interested. So I thought, I'm interested in this stuff. I know finance. I, I know how banks work, wealth management works, etc. And I like it. I find it fascinating. And, right. uh, and I wanted to do something about that. And then I took a look. There are no comics about, comics about this. This is mm. Scott Adams' Dilbert. It's like the closest thing you have to it. And uh, okay, let's let's give it a let's give it a try. And then I just kind of had always this process. Okay, the writing is more important. And to help the writing, to make it even easier, is you need, you need good characters. Now, <clears throat> I always thought, okay, what, what's a good character? So in this world, where I come from, well, right. The first one, you need a victim. <laughs> So, so I, I just put a burr because, in my opinion, okay, uh, it just happened to coincide with, uh, with, with, with Angry Birds. But anyway. I oh, I always thought I had to do something with Twitter. I'm like, there's, because your no, conversations no. on Twitter, it's all no. Angry Birds, eh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing. <laughs> it's pretty good. Now I'm going to think that too. Like with, when you mention Hayek, I'm going to think about Solomon. So, yeah. No, no, no. Nothing to do with that. I just threw a bird because. I, I want to do an animal because animals are cute. Uh, so you get the cute factor there. And uh, um, of course. And then I thought, okay, what kind of animals are victim more often than not? And I, I thought, okay, birds are rather boring. So I, you might be interested in birds. And I found it in, that people, some people find it really interesting. I find them just boring. And I thought, hey, let's make this guy a victim. Right? And then I need other people. Who, who kind of fit the story around, so, so, so kind of mean in their own ways, intellectually or, or, or physically, like the compliance officer, or, or intellectually, like, like, uh, like the economist, this idiot yet, uh, intellectually yet idiot type. And, oh, wait, one, uh, question, one question before yeah. we carry on. That guy that I keep seeing, uh, and I, every time I see him, I just think of Paul Krugman. I, I think that's my own personal bias, but that's not what you were thinking, is it? You mean an uh, economist with the with the pointing stick and everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. It's not. And okay, I always good. also get I also got that he looks just like your boss. I don't know. Maybe it's the <laughs> stuff. The stuff is just subconscious. I don't know. I just drew something. Uh, I, I doodled quite a lot to get the characters, and then something struck me as funny, and I just kept it. And uh, it evolved. It evolved for a while. You, you, you tinkered and you got to a solution exactly. that everybody seems yes. to love. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I'm not done yet. I, I, I could easily kill a character or, or just add new ones. Um, I, I, would have, I would have no trouble with that. But the best... Uh, plus, interesting fact. Okay. Uh, that's, that's not exactly how it really started. The one okay. thing it... Yeah. The one point that was the final nudge, so to speak, was um, I read this really, really good book, uh, Treasure Island, by Nicholas Shacks. Okay. Uh, yeah, just read it. It's mind blowing. It's really good, like stories and stuff about tax evasion, sort of. You know, how how people evade tax, corporations avoid tax, uh, and all that crap that's going on with all these. Um, uh, Ernst and Young types and KPMGs and stuff like that. 
Uh, it's fascinating how much money gets just shoveled around, shoveled around, and uh, how much taxes are what. And I just wanted to start with that because that's 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 where I got Reto and Urs because Switzerland being one of the main at the time, so was it one of the main tax havens in the world. And Reto and Urs just because if you go to Switzerland, there's no way you go around that you're not going to meet somebody whose name is Reto or Urs. <laughs> they're all right there was yeah and uh, i actually worked with a couple of whose name were right there was <laughs> instead of the comics every now and then they find it so funny. and uh, it started like that and that's why i got those characters to present those classic uh, uh swiss bankers only care about like stashing the loot and, right and every character is selfish um basically in his own way if you make it selfish, you cannot make it selfish enough. It's it's just a human nature that they look uh, relatable. So that's how it started. Needed the victim, and I, and I needed I needed guys to take to try to take advantage of this victim. Uh, there you have some sort of a conflict, uh, emotions, and mm. all kinds of turns that it can take. You know, I find that fascinating because um, I'm a big fan of Walt Disney, and I'm a fan of the cartoons and whatnot. And, and I was always trying to figure out what it was that Steve Jobs used to do when he first uh, took over Pixar. And uh, the argument was always, what if X had feelings? And I, like, if you watch the B movie, the whole thing revolves around what if bees had feelings, right? And so it's something that you project a human emotion onto an, an entity that usually you wouldn't associate with. And that's what people, that's what children love it, right? The donkey yes. from Shrek. Um, you know, uh, Little Mermaid, all these things. It's just about evoking an emotion onto something that actually humanizes it and allows others to kind of weave into their their, their path. And I think one of the things you're doing here is like you're giving us an insight into how does the banking world work and in a way that's kind of like deep, but it's also uh, a satellite view, which is very difficult to do because it's like you're looking at it from so far away, but you're grasping something that it's so deep and internal into how the actual system operates that it simultaneously allows you to get a cursory info without having to read 50,000 books about it. But at the same time, what it is you learn from it is so beautiful that you can actually sit back and like, I've had instances where, you know, we sat back at a, at, a, at a gathering with some friends, some of them who are bankers. And I, I can always, as soon as I start talking, I can see one of your comic strips in front of my head. I'm like, okay, I know what he's referencing <laughs> right here. And it helps me to just short circuit the entire process and be like, oh, I get what you're talking about. And we can almost share that inside laugh. And I think that's what your real main attribute to this process is. And the reason I really wanted to bring you along was because um, it's kind of like when, when people say, you know, uh, why do you love cooking? And I, I try to explain to them, this is the expressive means of, 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 of you know, uh, a human being enjoying nature at its finest. Similarly, when somebody says, you know, what, what about a comic strip? You know, it's, it's a comic books that they always think about, you know, Marvel or whatever. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. there are other variations of it that are very much more interesting and unique. As long as you have somebody holding your hands, walking you through the process so you can appreciate the little gestures that are actually laying there for you to discover. But most of it, it's kind of like poetry, right? People don't like poetry because when they're exposed to poetry, it's always horrifically done. And then for the rest of their life, they just leave that side of the world alone. And it's such a disservice to them. So, so your work, and that's why I like people like, you know, coming on who have these interesting perspectives on, on life. And I want their, their work to actually become much more uh, appreciated because as long as we go through this process of explaining what you're doing, how you're doing it, what the inside mm -hmm. joke is, what your intentions are, 
how you humanize a very uh, mechanical system that be, most people don't, they, to this day, you can ask people, you know, what do you think happened in the 2008 uh, financial bubble? They don't know. They don't know what a, a financial bubble is. They don't know how it gets created. They don't know how it gets destroyed. They don't know how people lose their jobs. All these things are sort of mystifying to them. And what you do is you actually just bridge the gap just a little bit more so they don't feel completely out of the loop. And I think that's a, a, a service to humanity more than anything else. Thank you very much. That's, a, that's, a, that's one of the things I really try to do with every single comic strip. There's something underlying behind. They're like, I would say 99% of them are, there's, there's some idea that I try to convey as succinctly as possible. And yeah. the funny, that's, that's, that's also an, a bonus. But the thing is, um, it's exactly like you said that if you if you if you think think about banking or or finance or or uh, investing and stuff, you know, if you're not into it and you talk to a person who is not into it, you could instantly see in their mind wandering away. It's like the most boring stuff ever, right? It's like 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 talking about uh, a will or something. People know they need to do it, but they don't want. It, right? right. Right. And. Uh, it, it's 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 something and then try to try to make that funny and if if you really bore it like like with the oh yeah like, like with the IQ stuff if you go into it it's really fascinating uh, because I was always fascinated by making money you know right coming from not such a rich family or a wealthy family at all it was kind of always okay where, where's the next spot coming from and it's it's interesting i always wanted okay let's make some money because that's gonna make me happy right well no ideally but, yeah well you, you get you you can um if, if you know how to handle money right uh the toughest class okay jumping around again mm-hmm. um, the toughest clients that we have is, is is usually a lottery winner because our bank has a fairly large market share, so we get our fair share of lottery winners. Those people don't know what they're doing. Uh, it doesn't matter if you explain it. Uh, it's weird. But if you have an entrepreneur or somebody uh, who's actually saved their own money and made it, have a complete different view of that. It, it's hard to explain, but um, they, they, they have, they, you either have the one who, who who really holds tight and doesn't take any risk at all, just keeps it on his saving account, right? That's it. And doesn't right. do anything. Or you have the one who quits his job, quits everything, and just starts, you know, draining it all. And there's this unfortunate, uh, unfortunate incident I also had. It was like a really young guy, won in a lottery, 2009. Like a, a, like a gift from heaven. Everything is cheap. Right. You all, you got all this cash, right? Right, right. And I, I was, I was, I was excited. Okay, let's buy this stuff and let's buy these bonds. But they were, they were like Henkel bonds for six, six, for six percent. Like it's no risk, practically no risk. Six percent for for a few years and then just roll it over. And then you have bonds that or or stocks that were real cheap under under book value, blue chip stocks in Finland, which you wouldn't know, but every Finnish people would know. Paying you seven eight percent in just dividends rate, right? Right. And, right. and we just grabbed it in a portfolio, but at some point he just stopped because he was he, he was uncomfortable with the whole thing. Now I was too young to you know educate him enough. Uh, but the portfolio was real nice, and it 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 just grew after that. The thing that we invested. But then there was also this. Okay, he quit his job. Um, I told him. I told him. Took him to the side and told him, all right, hey, really, you're young. Uh, you got all this money. You can do whatever you want. Just decide what you want to do. Just go to school. Right. Do this. 
No, he listened, smiled, and did then whatever he wanted to do anyway. So, uh, <laughs> which is which is actually generally a really good rule to have in a large corporation. But if you're handling your own money, it's not that good. Right. So gradually, if you if the thing is, if you want to make money, uh, there are actually two rules. It's it's, it's basic stuff. Uh, the first rule is, and this this is the most important thing. Uh, never spend more money than you make. <laughs> never spend more money than you make. If you can make that, you'll always have it, no matter how much you make. And uh, uh, the second part is whatever you save, just invest it. Okay, but everybody's concentrating on 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 how to invest stuff, right? That, like, like that's the magic trick that I'm gonna find the next whatever um, venture capital investment that quadruples or um, uh, makes me all this money that I can live on. It's right. not that way. It's it's actually really really boring. So uh, like I said, uh, or not, I wrote it to you. Is that uh, if 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 you find investing really exciting, you're doing it wrong. Right? <laughs> In my opinion, uh, there are also other ways. The best way to get wealth is always, um, oh, if, if you're talking about, it. Um, the best way to 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 get rich is actually to inherit the money, right? <laughs> if you're lucky. Easiest, way easiest by far works like a charm especially in Europe um, the second best just marry somebody rich right yeah if only somebody would have given me that advice 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I love my wife I'm doing okay uh, there's a uh, and the third part is then that the two rule the two step rule don't spend as much as you, you make and then invest what you're saving. But that takes just a long time. Um, there's this funny story about rule number, uh, about the second one, just marrying somebody rich. Um, my colleague, mm-hmm. um, he told about this guy, a friend of his, who a smart guy. Um, he had a strategy. And he kind of thought about it, okay, um, you know, making money is hard. Uh, marrying somebody rich is that hard. How do I do that? Eh? Mm. He had a really cunning plan. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about it. Um, We're all taking notes. (laughs) I do. Please do. Um, He went into horseback riding. Okay. Yeah. Horseback riding, um, not that many guys there. (laughs) True. It's only only women. Mm. And horseback riding, really, really expensive hobby. Very so, true. yeah. So basically, who you who do that is is rich families. Mm. He went into that into horseback riding. I don't know how he financed the actual horseback riding. Uh, maybe he just hung around at stalls. I don't know. <laughs> no, but six months later, he was engaged to somebody who who came from a wealthy family. What? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Come on. It's <laughs> biological. It's, it's biological course. stuff. Young man, young woman, of course. And mm. you spend a lot of time, magic, sparkle flew, motions ran high, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, that's that's uh, that's how I do it. But banking, investing stuff, all these emotions in there, and mm. that's what you need when you do when you do writing. If if you write about something, it's like with poetry or with comics or with actual books, is that mm. if there's no emotion in there, you have right. nothing. Right, right, right. No, it's true. It's it's actually ironic because I'll I'll tie um, a thread and, uh, and weave a thread around all this is getting financially wealthy. It's kind of like getting f- fit. 
right? The, the hard stuff is the boring stuff. It's like making sure that you always eat good food, making sure that you, the calories you consume are less than the calories you expend, making sure that you're actively involved in physical activities, you know, sports, weight training, walks, all those type of things. And people forget that it's the long, tedious, boring stuff that actually gets you the result. It's not the fantastic stuff that you see. Oh, look, I fit into this dress. It's not about that. that that's the end result. But the result of it all is, oh, you know what? There's that one night I woke up and I was really, really you know, interested in going into the fridge to grab a slice of cake. And instead, I walked all the way down and I fought my willpower and I eventually just drank a glass of water and went back up to bed. Same thing with finance, right? Oh, I, I have this money. Should I go buy this thing? No, you don't need to buy it. Okay, that's you're fighting this exact same power, right? You're fighting this desire to satiate the short term. And as you work around that issue, it starts to pay off, but it doesn't pay off. The problem is it doesn't pay off uh, quickly until you get that accelerating curve point where everything you do starts to pay off you know, handsomely. Most people just don't have the patience because food, unfortunately, pays off instantly. Swiping a credit card pays off instantly. Yeah. So your, your thread there is exactly the same thing. And, and typically you can see that both both um you know getting wealthy and getting fit essentially require the same mindset of being disciplined they right? do right? and that's the key and and and, and to tie the uh, other story to it is uh, what it is you do with your comic books is what i do with software when i write software people think oh that's amazing you're a software developer you're a software engineer oh that must be cool no it's not the vast majority of it is you're thinking about things that don't exist and you're ramming your head into the wall, you're going for walks, you're writing stuff out on paper, you're thinking it through, you're, you're looking online, see if anybody's kind of solved the problem already, and, and if you're lucky, they have, and they can kind of give you an inspirational approach. Sometimes they even give you a blog post on all the mistakes they made, so you can kind of circumvent that. And then, eventually, you always get to that stage where whatever it is you're trying to build doesn't exist. Nobody's ever done it, nobody's ever thought about it, and now you're basically all on your own. And it's at this junction that you separate the software engineers from the, you know, pretenders, because at this, at yeah. this point, nobody can help you, right? You have to figure it out yourself. And so writing is exactly the same way. It's not fun and glamorous. It's, it's mostly a lot of first, second, third, fourth, 15th, 20 drafts until the idea becomes boring and monotonous to you. But you've tweaked it enough times that when you give it to somebody who's never read it, they instantaneously fall in love with it. But it's that pain that you have to pay for, which is the amount of iterations you go through and software is exactly the same thing that's why i find your line of work you know poets artists you know people who create music we share the same thread we, we sit there and we solve the same set yes. of problems just in a different set of tools it's exactly like you said it's like um i, I did because for me uh as you as i mentioned at the beginning was that uh, software writing is some sort of a magical thing that once you once you have it it's like easy easy to do and easy money and just easy going um, I, I wanted to, I, I actually took a step, you know, to, um, to learn a little bit, a little bit of software. I, I just very, very rudimentary stuff. I just enrolled into a web, uh, web, uh, design thing to, to create my own website. Yeah. Just to, yeah, I got, I got zero, zero, um, experience about coding. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to see because anybody could just, uh, ask me for anything, uh, about coding. I, you my money wise to do stuff i would have no idea is this difficult is this not difficult i don't know no, okay that's why i went into it and uh had this uh real good coder guy and i asked him tons of questions and uh, that's when i saw okay now you have the basic html you have the basic css how to make it be and then you have some actual coding with the javascript and, okay there you have to twist your head a little bit more around and it, 
it's 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 artisan work because mm -hmm. I saw I saw immediately okay this is stuff that uh, you you need to bang your head against the wall you you need <laughs> to get experience you, you need to ram your f uh, head through problems that uh, had no idea how to solve and then just ask people maybe Google on the net etc etc and then at some point if you after hours and hours and hours of making mistakes oh you 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 okay now I get it now I know how to do that and uh, and then, then you ran into the next problem right. Right. And goes to those guys who who have the patience and the energy to go through many problems, those are the guys that make the interesting work then, because it's easy to quit at the beginning. Oh, for sure, for sure. I I, I quit with the beginning though because I saw <laughs> I, I you know man I, there's no way having a day job and a family and drawing comics inside and then do coding. I had to cut right. the cut it somewhere. No, yeah. of course, spread yourself too thin and you and you won't be able to do it. But uh, you know what, uh, software engineering. I found when I was in school, I was always bored because I get bored very, very, very easily. Mm -hmm. The one thing that never bored me was writing code because it's the one thing where every time I thought I understood something, I would yeah. realize how little I understood. And that's when I knew I was in the right spot, right? I'm like, okay, this is where I can spend the rest of my life uh, contributing value to others. And in the process, never feeling like I've accomplished something. And it's kind of like similar to how um, uh, there's there are games in life which are easy to learn and impossible to master, like shooting pool, um, yeah. playing chess, um, you know, solving uh, puzzles and Rubik's cubes. All these things. It's the rules. Somebody can explain it to you within five minutes, saying, "Okay, here's what HTML does, and here's what CSS does, and here's what JavaScript does." And everything sounds simple until you sit in front of the computer and you go, "Okay, I want this little yes. button to move over here." Yes. And it's not that easy. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating stuff, man. Do you ever feel? Just a question to you now. Uh, sure. Uh, do you ever feel like when you write code, uh, in, you you'll solve a good problem or, or a tough problem? Mm. You feel good, right? You feel yeah. really good. Mm -hmm. All right. Next comes another problem which you don't solve. Do you feel like shit afterwards? Instantaneously. It's, yeah, it's, it's a it? roller coaster. It's a roller coaster. The same thing with comics. I drew mm. something that I think is fantastic, and maybe people even like it. One thing is uh, another thing. I write mm -hmm. something I think is really funny, often is a dud. And sometimes <laughs> I write something, I say, it's okay, joke. Somebody finds it hilarious. And I, right. I can't tell, before, I really can't tell which one are the best ones. I can't tell you which I like the most, which often doesn't correlate at all with what gets the most likes or retweets or, 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 or otherwise uh, feedback. But the same thing. I write something that's a uh, that's 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 funny in my opinion, or good, and then I do something else, and then I mm. think, man, I, I can't, I know I don't know anything about this. Why why am I even trying? Right, right. But the thing is, too, hey, I don't discourage, I don't, well, don't get discouraged that easily in a sense because I, 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 my philosophy with this comics drawing is like this: it's a side gig at the moment. Right. But it's fun. Right. You know? It's a it's a fun way to spend time. It's um, I get I learn because I have to when I feel something I read something that I don't understand I, I have to kind of read more uh, then I have to simplify it to the point that I and in order to simplify it to make it funny you have to mm. really understand it um, and and that keeps me going because I learn uh, I use a lot of Nassim's. Um, stuff but I read on in Twitter and anything can really kind of uh, spark spark an idea which I then write on on, on a word sheet just the words the key words or, or key tweets or, or take a picture of it and uh, and then I just keep a list going because you have to write everything down 
uh, because otherwise it's just if you think that okay hey this is a great idea I'll, I'll just write it down uh, after I drink my coffee no don't do that no right. because so many ideas just after the drank the coffee what was it again <laughs> Any, I have I have the same problem myself with voice memos on my phone I immediately talk to my phone and then sometimes it's funny you think it's a good idea and then you listen back to it, you go I'm an idiot I don't know why I thought that was a good idea that's the best route the bad idea <laughs> That's 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 the holy grail. You have something mm. that only if it, it sparked your emotion. Because if it didn't spark your emotion, it wasn't a stress right. You, but yeah. But then you have to just kind of twist it around. The fun part. I used to hate writing about comics. Is that okay? That's the boring part, and the drawing part is the interesting part. It totally flipped. Now mm. it's like um, I like to write, and then I just leave it there for a few days, and then I write again, and then I see, oh, there's a couple extra words. You don't need that. You don't mm. need redundant. Maybe mm. take this out and use this word instead. Mm. And instantly it's funny. And then I have a few few guys that I run those by when I'm in a tough spot. Uh, that I, I call him my chief editor. Mm. I just send him stuff. And his, his feedback is good because he, he doesn't bullshit. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, I don't need that. I, right. It's like if, if somebody on Twitter sees... Uh, I encourage or if any any listeners out there. If you find a mistake in my mm. grammar, or mm. or you can improve it, just give me a feedback. Right, yeah. right, right. Because I often make those. Mm. Although I, I take all the all the credit afterwards too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know what's funny about that is um, I've been trying to convey this set of ideas to to people from um, uh, what we've lost as a, as a society. In my opinion, is as follows: this idea of fun is somehow relegated to stupid things or childish things. And so they're like, oh, what, what's your idea of fun? Oh, I don't know, going out clubbing, drinking, or, or doing drugs, or whatever foolish chicanery people get involved with. And I, I always like to try to tell them, I'm like, I'm going to wrestle the word fun away from you. The word fun to me is engaging in an activity that makes you smile, that kind of sometimes makes you laugh, and it's compounding and it's positive returns for you in the future. So writing code is fun for me because I get to explore new venues, create new things. And I apply that same thing to the gym. I apply that same thing to playing volleyball or when I'm cooking dishes or whatever. And I find that people who do well in life tend to have an idea of fun that sort of mimics what I what I just described. Yet our cultures, uh, for some weird, strange reason, because of, I guess, the way Hollywood portrays it, is the idea of fun is going to Vegas, getting blacked out drunk, losing a tooth, and then not remembering what the night before was. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody thinks that that's what fun is. And that's exactly the opposite of it. And as you've discovered, that if you find a line of work that you enjoy doing, even when you have to bang your head against the wall, I there's a sick side of me that really loves it when there's a coding problem that I can't solve. It's like, okay, this is now my entire being being challenged. And it just revs me up. And it's like, okay, it's 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I should go to bed. I have one more idea. Let me try this what, one little variation. And it's an ugly variation, but it works. And I get this rush of dopamine. And then I sleep like a baby. And the next morning I come back and I have to fix it so it's faster and cleaner and all that jazz. But that break, I will, I've, I've spent nights where the breakthrough has come at 6.54 in the morning. And, and, and that's sort of like what it is that you do, right? Because you love the process, even the nasty parts of it, the parts that you're like, I don't want to, you know, expose myself to that all the time because then I wouldn't be able to do it. But every once in a while, when that problem comes around that you've been banging your head against the wall for a while, it really is invigorating and it's kind of fun in a different way because what it allows you to do is it allows you to absorb 
that process and, and, and internalize it so that when another problem shows up from a different aspect of life, you kind of look at it and be like, okay, this is sort of like a coding problem. I have to solve this and I don't know what the answer is and nobody else around me seems to know what the answer is. So let me just try to do what it is I do. And you stumble around and you may not get the perfect answer, but you get an answer that's good enough to make you survive, right? And that's the key. Yeah, that's 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 exactly how it goes. I really, uh, because for me, fun, okay, every now and then you can go out drinking and stuff, but if that's the only fun, come on, it's, yeah. it, at the end, how boring is that? That's like right. mega boring, right? <laughs> uh, no, I don't do that anymore. Occasionally, yes, fine. But you know, if, if that's your thing, uh, I think you're really going the wrong way. I think Dalai Lama had a really good saying. If you, it's kind of a you, hedonistic thing. If you're indulging your senses, it's like mm. drinking salt water. You just make your senses <laughs> and thirst grow. And it's like, and it, just imagine a world where everything would be easy. Right, oh, you would have no fun. No fun. No, no fun. Where's the fun in that? Right. How, just imagine how soft you would be, right? It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but the same thing goes with with all these, like exercising or for. I hate running. I go to the gym. Mm. I like it's fun. I hate running, and every now and then I, I do basketball rather instead, because there you have to run after after a ball and you don't notice the running. It's just a game. Right. And and. But I, I, I kind of, you know, I took it from the military side. In the military, I was in the military. We had a, because a mandatory military in Finland for, for a year or oh, 11 really? months. At, at age yeah. 18? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. You have to, there's a certain time period where you have to make it. Um, mm-hmm. You get really, you get court martialed if you didn't do it. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. Um, they, they force you. They, they just, police comes and takes you to the military and that's it. If you don't do it, but it's it's a nice process if you do it willingly. <laughs> right. I, I recommend it to anybody. I, I'm totally against uh, for a small country like Finland. I'm totally against uh, professional army. It's way too expensive. Plus, all the schooling uh, for the young kids, uh, for the guys mostly, but uh, women are also allowed. It's a good school to go through in that age, in my opinion. Well, anyway. Mm. We did that. We we had morning runs, and uh, 5:30 we woke up. Um, first thing we did before anything, just shoes and uh, uniform, and we went for for a two mile run, and then came back, showered, breakfast, and then the day started. And I thought that was always fun. I, I I remember the feeling. It was cool. Hey, straight away feel great. And then I decided, okay, it's because I hate running. Everybody thinks about running and you have to do the marathon, the half marathon or a triathlon or, or mm. whatever. Mm. I just don't have the patience for it because it's so boring. <laughs> right. <laughs> half a marathon? How long does it take? An hour, two, two hours? Something just like that, about. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what, do, what do people do during that time? I, I don't get it. Well, Beats I decided me. to do yeah, I just do morning runs nowadays. I just mm. take my shoes. Uh, I don't feel like it, but there's a good uh, good trick from Scott Adams. Just, just mm. don't force yourself. Don't say, say, tell yourself you can always opt out, but just put on the shoes and put on the shorts and stuff, and then see how you feel. And whenever mm. you put the shoes on and shorts, you always go. So you do the you do the two mile run, come back, you have a nice little sweat, your heart rate's up, and that's it. Mm. You do that in the morning. Well, there we go. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But if you force yourself to do it every day or two or three times a week for, for the marathon or the half marathon at 10K, mm. uh, it's just boring. 
Yeah. No, I mean, uh, my experience with uh, with exercise is it's it's three types, right? So there's the weight training, which is usually what I do to get out of my head. And the reason I mean that is that when you're deadlifting, let's say something like your body weight or more, whatever thoughts you had before you pick up that bar are no longer the thoughts you're going to have because your, your focus sure. is entirely somewhere else. Um, then there's there's cardio, vascular stuff, which is like the running you're explaining about. That's when you want to get out of your body and into your head. So that's typically when I want to solve a problem. Uh, I don't run. I like to go for walks. And it's some sort of similar. So I imagine people who do long-distance runs are just essentially having conversations with themselves trying to solve a particular type of problem because you kind of go into this mode where you go, okay, let me go into cruise control and just keep running in one particular direction. But while you're doing it, you're, I imagine if you're listening to music, you know, if you're not singing along, at least you're talking to yourself about whatever problem it is you're trying to solve. And then the best of all of them is when I play team sports. Like that's why I always encourage people, um, you know, go play some volleyball. And it has to be a group activity, not just like a, another solo activity. You need something where other people are involved. You know, they have effort. They're counting on you. You're counting on them. There's some camaraderie built. There's some, you know, joking uh, that that happens. All that stuff, and it gives you this other layer to incorporate into your life. And it's it's, it's this fascinating exploration of what, what it is you're capable of doing physically, mentally, and uh, emotionally. Because like I said, what I like to do on Fridays is I like to challenge myself because I go to bed late, I wake up early, I go to work, I come home, I go to the gym, and then I go play volleyball, and I don't get home till almost 24 hours uh, after, right? And, and it's cool. fun. It's, 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 it's kind of punishing, but it's fun. And it, it sort of lines up with what, what it is you're saying. So how do you, what do you do when you're running? Are you thinking about stuff? Are you trying to solve a comic no. problem? Or are you just enjoying the... Yeah, the yeah, I do. I do. Usually, usually there's a, what I do, uh, I, well, first of all, it's not that long a time. I do some, I do some spurts in between, you know, between lampposts. Just, I, find, I run just as fast as I can. During those periods, I don't think about anything. Just to force myself, I'm 45 years old, my body needs these kind of shocks every now and then. Mm. And, uh, and then I think about my comics. Yeah. Hardly ever work. Because work, work, what I do is, I like it, uh, but it's on cruise control. So what exactly is it that you do for work now? Ah, yeah. Um, uh, it's the private banking part. So um, private banking is um, you have private clients who have an extensional amount of money and uh, they don't have any um, investing experience. Or if they do, they just want to have somebody who to challenge their ideas. Mm. That's what I do. Um, I try to invest their money or give them advice how to invest money. And uh, also the other side, like if they need a lawyer for wills or other uh, documentations, uh, reporting, all this kinds of stuff, uh, we take care of that. And it's really interesting work because um, <clears throat> I used to be on the institutional side where I'm always talking to somebody who's handling somebody else's money, right? Totally different if you're talking to somebody who's managing his own money right so, so the the emotions are what well, it's to just to tell you just to give you a thing when i was on the institutional side the mm. only thing you talked about was sharp ratios volatility returns between different periods etc 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 information ratios is also good mm. uh, now that i, I talk you know, now that i talk to a um, to, to a private client who's handling his own money Mm-hmm. Never. I never talk about you. It doesn't. He doesn't care about any volatility or short. He just wants to know how much he's gonna get, and right. where he could get it. Right. Right. How How do we make money? How, look, I, 
to get this sort of money? Where's the dividend coming from? Where's the interest coming from? Um, okay, what kind of risk can I take? The risk is, is this going to blow up? Okay. Mm. So many come to me and ask ask for forecasts. It's mm-hmm. stuff, it's forecasting stuff. Um, I always, 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 the private banking is a lot about expectations management. If, if, if I can promise them the moon, yeah, I'm not going to get the moon and they're going to be disappointed. But I'm going right. to tell them right now, right at, right at the beginning, forecast. I don't know. I have absolutely no clue where this stock or this stock or probably this stock or, or the world is going. It's way too complex. Mm. If you, you already talked to Joe, you know about complexity. You know about uh, forecasting complex systems. Market is a complex system. There's no mm. way to forecast. I just tell them right at, right at the beginning. No way. Mm. And I'm going to mm. tell you what. Let's do it the other way around. Mm. Um, but let's just make sure that whatever you ask, whenever you ask, let's sure that whatever happens in the future, your portfolio doesn't blow up. Now that's right. the And that, they always love that. And that, you can do that. You can do that. Of course, if a meteor uh, hits the world or, or something, other not even a pri- good private banker can help you. But uh, yeah. But otherwise, it's like that. And then when the market goes up or, or, or is, is doing good, you're also doing good. And that's pretty much. I try to keep it real simple. And then you go into the nuances uh, that always buy stuff that has more upside than downside. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you make a lot of those bets. You eventually going to do fine. Not all the time. It's not linear competition mm-hmm. and stuff like this. But that's basically what I do. Okay. So, so you live the whole concept of ergodicity with, with your individual clients because they, they, they need to survive, not on average, but in, in N yes. equals one sample space. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's exactly that. I don't put it in those words because otherwise just get confused looks. But exactly, you nailed it. So, yeah, um, the one thing that uh, was fascinating now, I was in New York and uh, listened to some really, really fascinating stuff. Um, uh, one of them was also that there was a, this, this study um, about sharp ratios. Just to go back to the institutional side, how sick it is. <clears throat> sharp ratio is one, like one of the things that you, you take to measure if something is a good investment or not. Right? Okay. Uh, it's, it's usually, it, it, sharp ratio in a sense, okay, this is a tad boring. I, I keep it short. Okay. Is uh, uh, how much return you, you generated over a risk free rate, whatever it is, over the volatility. Right? So, so it's kind of a the, the unit of performance over risk. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I have troubles with volatility being risk and other stuff. But okay, let's let's not go into that. Uh, and what what they do, they always the portfolio managers always pick the ones with the highest sharp ratio, obviously because that's looks nice. Seems logical, right? Yes, yes. And you have no trouble going to your boss or committee or board or whatever with a strategy that always picks the best sharp ratio funds or or investments, right? Uh, you're safe. Your job is safe. Mm. The problem is, and this study uh, was really fascinating, is that it's the worst strategy you can pick for the future. Mm. If retrospectively, you could just go back and take those same things, then it would be great strategy. But into the future, the worst thing you can do is is take the funds with the biggest sharp ratio. Mm. So if if you go if you if you're going if by any chance going into institutional investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
don't pick the ones with the biggest sharp rate. You, 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 you know what's funny? You, you tell me that, and I, and I tried to relate in a term that um, the average person who's listening to us would, 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 let, would appreciate. It's kind of like this. It's like if you look at the past lottery numbers that have won, you could yeah. come up with 15 different amazing equations that says, look, if you take your dog's age, multiply it by your cat's tail length, subtract your birthday from it, you can get this winning lottery number, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but if you want to apply that forward, I don't think it's such a good idea. Same thing, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Something absurd like this. Plus, plus. <laughs> exactly. So it's also the thing. It's 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 like betting on the on on because people tend to like sure things and they think okay, I'm looking at the past for the for the last year, for instance. Uh, this is the best fund that performed. I, I'll put my money into that. But it's already expensive. So right. that, and that's bad. Another fascinating stuff that I always try. Uh, always, if if my clients are listening to me. Uh, I try to relate it to the guy. If you don't remember anything at all about a discussion today, mm-hmm. don't ever buy anything expensive. Mm-hmm. Because, okay. And, and now I'm assuming that you know what when something expensive and when it's not. I can help with that too, but <laughs> can't do it. Just never buy anything expensive. So you mean you mean you mean we work at 48 billion dollars is not expensive, right? <laughs> I'm talking about like individual stocks, <laughs> stocks and stuff. <laughs> There's some techniques you can use. And the, the one thing is because there's also also funds. Like um, a fascinating study of 10 years. There was a, a back. It was um, was it the beginning of yeah? I think from 2000 uh, to 2010 or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Same story goes. It was they took the best funds during that fund in the U.S. What was mm-hmm. the best single long only fund? No hedge funds, nothing, no leverage ever. Just plain vanilla stock funds. Mm-hmm. And they found out that over the 10 years, it returned like 19% per annum, which is fantastic because you double your money every four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the average, <laughs> the average investor lost money. Mm-hmm. I think what? How how come what? Is this this is the best fund there is. Still, on average, people lose money. Because the thing is, once that thing goes up, right, mm-hmm. they pile in. Once it right. goes down, they Everybody go down. Everybody loses their shirts, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can't, you cannot invest that way. It's mm-hmm. it's too short-sighted. Because for a fund to be really good, you cannot mm-hmm. be happy. Like if, if you want to beat the index, you can't buy the index. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to beat the index, you have to concentrate. Right. So, so, so what they do, but what you what you get with this concentration is because it's the law of small samples. Right? If you if you take a small samples, you get you get more extreme, right? Right. So that's what they do. They they generate the extremes. It could be worse. The extremes are so you, you create volatility or variance, whatever you want to call it. So mm-hmm. so the peaks and the and, and the, the the lows are way way higher and lower. Compared to an index, people just emotionally can't handle that kind of spread. Most of right. it. Right, so if right. you want it at year one and hold it in year ten, you get 19 per annum. But if you switch and switch between, mm-hmm. there's, there's no 19 percent. Right, right, right. No, because you know what's funny about that is um, I always remembered, and, and it's kind of it, it, it's it's ironic that it gets distilled to something that people think is simplified, but which is that whole concept of buy low, sell high. What they're really telling you is it's like what the price you paid for something is going to determine how much you make profit off of it, right? So if you yeah. bought something, even if it's a good thing, 
but you overpaid for it, you're never going to see any profit yeah. from it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's what you're, what you're talking about here, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's, I think Warren Buffett said it the best. It was like, um, it, even the best company in the world is a, is a shitty investment if you pay too much for it. Exactly. Part. Exactly. I exactly. Added. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he says it just like that when the cameras are not on or, or the tape recorders <laughs> are off like that. <laughs> yeah. But the, 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 but once you get into the nitty gritty of investing and stuff, there's so much emotion going on. And I'm, mm. I'm never going. For instance, and especially with the forecasting stuff, uh, mm. there's never ever going to be a. a an end to people wanting to hear about the future. Never going to end. I have clients I've been talking about. Okay, I, I don't know the future. We can talk about the future. It's like a uh, disgusting taste, right? It's right. the best thing, the best discussion, are always about uh, gray issues, not black and white issues, but like taste. Everybody has different taste. You can always argue. You can argue till the night. Uh, take a glass of wine or a bottle of wine. Do that. Fun. But does it really bring me anything? Nah. Uh, if, if your investment strategy lies on, on your ability to, like I said in the comic book, to actually uh, accurately f uh, forecast future events, you're fucked. It doesn't happen that way. You just have to concentrate on the thing that whatever happens in the end, you, 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 your portfolio doesn't blow up. Right, right, right. No, I hear you. That makes total sense. Right. So there's normally certain gems that you learn that you wish everyone around you knew as well. What are some things that you wish people gave more attention to? You mean investing or otherwise? Uh, anything that you think. So in right. regards to yeah. otherwise. There's one general rule. Um, there's one general rule. I, have a, I, I sent uh, Ace the comic about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a story. Uh, let's give it a story for him, right? Me and my wife, we tried to do a romantic right. weekend somewhere in Europe. And I said, either, just leave the kids to somebody else and just me and my wife. Uh, mm -hmm. This uh, autumn, uh, uh, sorry, spring, we went to Bordeaux. Really nice wine country and yeah. everything. Wow. And I made this reservation to this really lovely place, uh, small restaurant. And we sat down and with this uh, young California uh, couple mm -hmm. next to us. And me and my wife, we, were, we already had some wine. And we just discussed it about uh, how fun it would be to get our parents something, a gift for taking care of the kids. And we started thinking about maybe an escape room thing. And then we just kind of thought about our parents being in an escape room together. We just cracked. We, we laughed and laughed. And we couldn't stop. You know that feeling when you can't stop laughing and just, yeah. just keep going? And as a California couple, it was like, uh, I was just watching and they were really interested. In the, we started discussing and they, they were recently married. Yeah. Six months into the marriage, and uh, especially the the young beautiful lady was really intrigued. How how long have you been married? I said twenty years. And uh, oh, uh, you seem you really seem like uh, happy. And uh, how do you do that? How do you how do you keep the spark alive? And I told her to the side. Key to everything. Low expectations. <laughs> so that's it. Low expectations. Oh. Um, yeah. So the key to happiness is I have it in this joke and in this joke is that on a strip where the professor comes in or the economist who is who is every now and then he's also a professor. He comes in and says, Ah, I have the I've solved the key to happiness. The bird gets all excited. Really, oh boy, really, what is it? What is it? What is it? And uh, the professor said, It's low expectation. <laughs> the bird is kind of angry and disappointed. And the, the professor says, 
I see you expected more. <laughs> that's one. Yeah, that's one. Uh, another thing is also, uh, if you take it, like that's, that's a advice for life in general, but because um, you asked for it. And, yeah. uh, in investing, um, the, the, the only thing I can give, I'm not going to give techniques because uh, that's, that's a difference. But you can find those techniques out on yourself, uh, on your mm -hmm. own. Um, in investing is never pay, ne okay, never buy anything expensive. Always diversify. So the key to it is to never expose yourself to ruin. So if you if you buy like one or two stocks because those have really good stories, um, you don't know what the future entails. It could mm -hmm. always always something can always happen. Just look at Nokia, for instance, uh, becoming the dominant cellular phone maker. Uh, to be no no phone maker at all, and like uh, it's it's a drastic story what happened there because uh, uh, Nokia was a sure thing. It was a sure thing. Nobody bought anything. If you wanted a serious serious uh, cell phone, you bought Nokia. Uh, yeah. Apple's iPhones. It was like uh, buying a watch from Adidas. Yeah, it's probably gonna work. Right. But then at some point, my an ex colleague of mine switched on Ted. Great guy, Ted D. Um, Spider has a has a has a fund in Switzerland. It'll if you are able to get your money uh, managed there, do it. Um, it was anyway. His son was then. He showed me then in 2007. He showed me the iPhone, and uh, I just I said, "Whoa, yeah, just turn around, flip around." Whoa, no, <laughs> the screen flips. Hey, but that product is dead. I thought that product is dead. Because mm. it's going to come in minutes with something mm. on the phone and sell it. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, this Nokia, high of edge, uh, high tech company, reacts fast to stuff like this, right? Nothing. Mm. Half a century, nothing. And now they're dead. So, diversify. And uh, basically, what I, what I want, what, what this does to you is if you buy only cheap stuff and, and diversify. Basically, what you do is you kind of force yourself into a situation where you're coming. So you have always more upside than downside. And if you have many of these pets, then if stuff happens in the world, right, which we call volatility, uh, your portfolio should look good. Good stuff. Quick question for you. Being a tech person, I can't let this slide. So how do the Finns feel about apples these days? Do they buy iPhones or are they still upset about the whole, you know, destroying Nokia? And no. stealing a bunch of money. No, 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 at all. Uh, if, uh, well, is there any choice? This <laughs> is crazy. Um, they buy iPhones. Uh, they buy Androids. Uh, um, it doesn't matter. But Android, iPhones, okay. But uh, I'm, I'm hearing complaints about the price nowadays. Of it's, course. It's, it's, it's way too high, in my opinion. Um, I, I would never buy. If the company would buy my iPhone. I would never buy an iPhone. Mm. Um, for instance, I'm just telling you, um, it's a California, it's a California cell phone. Probably works mm. wonderfully if, if sun is shining and if even temperatures. But that thing, if once I take it outside and go into the woods, for instance, um, it just shuts down mm. because the battery doesn't last. And uh, and I I have trouble. I just like my role. Never pay too much for anything. In my opinion, this forking over a thousand dollars for a cell phone is just way too much. But there's no there's no resentment or anything like that. No, of course, of course. You can't get mad at somebody who can afford a Ferrari, right? 
exactly. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, well, there are many because we're here in Olo, there are many startups, uh, many techs, many app makers. It's like um, they t they say it's like the Silicon Valley of Finland. Mm -hmm. um, you have two of them here in Olo is one, and then you have uh, in Helsinki. Um, and like I said, we don't have much old money, but lots and lots of entrepreneurs, and there's some really good uh, stuff going on. I'm excited because, for instance, uh, once Nokia sold their cell phone operations to Microsoft, and Microsoft, after a one-year grace period, just laid everybody off. <laughs> that was a that was a huge blow in this town. And, of course. Uh, and uh, but what happened is that uh, there were also packages and. Uh, schooling for all these engineers because they're basically all engineers in this university city. So nice. all these engineers had nothing to do. And have you ever met an unemployed engineer for a long time? Not one who has somewhat small social grade skills. No, they exactly. usually are very useful. Yeah, exactly. Always find something. Started their own companies. They, many of them went bust. Many are flourishing now. That was in 2012. So it's looking it's looking rather bright, but it, but what's interesting is I'm, I'm going to follow what's going to happen with iPhone in the future or mm. Apple in general. I, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, I have trouble expecting that um, they're going to have a happy life for the next hundred years. That just doesn't happen in the stock market. Comp some sort of competition is coming, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's like with the Nokia. Again. Look, everything fine, forty percent market share, worldwide market share, and all of a sudden you have nothing. Right, right, right. No, no, that's true. That's um, there's layers and intricacies of all these things built, and how uh, companies become complacent. It's almost um, it's almost predictable in a way because it's it's kind of like you see that a fighter who's hungry is willing to do that which a fighter who's already been a champion and has 50 million in the bank will never do because they don't have the need or the drive to do so. Right. So eventually, everybody gets sort of caught up in the malaise of this whole process, and so. Um, you, you you're right in that instance in the sense that you don't know what's going to happen and you can't make those predictions but what you can do is you can actually always cheer for the entrepreneur because it's always the entrepreneur who makes the drastic changes that everybody benefits from exactly and they're banging their heads now against the wall to for to fix some sort of problem which brings me actually back to that thing that you said before that you bang your head and then it, the, the fun is in the solving of of stuff right that you're interested in and exactly. The same the same goes with my writing. I had I had this um, uh, whenever this this tendency um, to do if I see a problem I just do it do it work and work and work and work and work until I solve it, right? And there was no right. solving. So so you just bang. But it was just stressful and it doesn't work that way because or it works better how I do it now is that when I work on something. Let's say uh, uh, riding on a strip, and I know there's something in there. I just I can feel it, and I find it funny. But I have to make it funny, and uh, and, and I start thinking, I think, I think, I think, and then at some point I just I just leave it. I just leave it, and then right. you for a couple of days or, or even a night, like you at 6:45, you get the, an epiphany, right? Okay, this is it. This is how it should be, and that's a <laughs> funny way. That's also a good advice for somebody young. Just okay, bang your hand against the wall for a while, but then stop. Mm. Yeah, you don't have to fix it right away. Right. Just let your subconscious kind of um, work for a while and trust it. But right. that trust too, you don't 
because young people don't think that way. They they always want to fix it. They always kind of uh, you know uh, don't have the experience yet to just let it go and then see what happens. Right. But after a while, you you, you get that, and that's that's how I do a lot of my writing nowadays. But you know, see, I'll, I'll draw a, a parallel to what you're saying there, and and this potentially could be helpful for for all our listeners and yourself included. And uh, this is how I apply it is that. Your, for your creative mind to become adept at solving problems in your field, you have to have the technical skill sets first established. Yes. So in essence, if you've been writing comic strips to the point where you got bored of it and you started hating it, that means you've put in enough hours in it that your brain knows how to assimilate that. It's kind of like when you first learn to drive, everything is scary. Eventually, when you drive, you barely remember what you did and how which route you took home. So you, you, you do need that first batch of, I would say, maybe five to ten years of just struggling to do basic things right. And then once you can do those basic things with your eyes closed, then you get to go into the interesting field of life, which is to solve problems that are unique, that don't have solutions that actually exist yet. And that's where you get to actually start to wrestle with it. And, and, and that's, I think, that's when you actually produce your best work. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I said uh, you commented on some of the comics and, and said this is this cool and uh, I said or oh, brilliant or something like that and I said eh, okay yes uh, but it was no stroke of luck or anything it's always just work it's always just work behind it I don't believe in anything that's easy um, easy comes easy goes it's it, it is really like that you just have to put in the hours uh, right. to create your best work absolutely absolutely I'm always suspicious I'm always suspicious I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the Serbian, I mean. but I'm always suspicious. Uh, my father was Serbian, my father Finnish, and I was born in Germany. So mm. there, there's this, uh, this this international thing. Um, but I'm always a little bit suspicious of anything that's easy. Like for instance, if I get a client, uh, some client comes and says, "I want to, I want to be your private banking client." Uh, he comes from another bank. Mm. Always suspicious. Why mm. would? Why would the other bank just let you go? Because if right. you're a good client, right, they would hold on to you. I would never, never, ever let my good clients just go easily. Right. The only, the only um, explanation that I accept is that uh, if, if, for instance, uh, his uh, private banker or banker that he he's been used to leaves, retires, mm. or switches mm. to another bank. Because then mm-hmm. clients are kind of okay. Let's look for something else for change. Because this is not, we have we have to new we have to get to know a new person anyway. So let's try other banks as well. But right. it, no other explanation. Yeah. Right. Because it takes, for instance, for a private banking, it takes um, to build up a clientele. It takes you five to you know up to five years. Just calling, uh, going through. Um, Getting, getting, calling clients, presenting stuff, etc., uh, etc. Et it's that's hard work. That's when you have longer hours, etc. Once you have a clientele build, it's fairly easy. You just kind of maintain it, and then occasionally uh, get some more clients. Uh, of course, that, I, I I understand what you mean by that because um, when I first started as a personal trainer, we had two options, which was option A was the the gym paid you a set fee, which was uh, hourly rate of minimum wage. But they took a chunk out of your potential sales and your hourly rate for the client that was paying you for it. Mm-hmm. Or you could do the aggressive route, which is what I did, which was that you show up and you don't get paid unless you train somebody. And you don't train anybody unless you sell them something. And so in that regard, for the first eh, 
30 to 90 days, you're basically starving because you're just walking around. People are seeing your face. You're introducing yourself, helping clients out. And then you acquire these clients. And all of a sudden, because of how long it took to acquire them, they kind of follow you around. So if you leave one gym and you go to another, and so the process of it all is about yeah. uh, maintaining, uh, like I always used to tell my clients, my job isn't to, to get the sale. My job is to keep the sale perpetually. Right. And that's that sense of that if I cannot give you some value that you would appreciate over the long haul, then I have no business being in this business. And it seems to me like you operate around the same um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, philosophies. The, the, the most important client is, is, is the existing client. Keep him happy. There's another good rule. Uh, an even better um, wealth manager or private banker than me. He's He's got um, he's retiring now, but he has like 30 years of this under his belt experience. He told me, always, if you have to choose between two things, an, uh, um, an unhappy boss or an unhappy client, always, always choose the unhappy boss. Because bosses <laughs> come and go. But your client, right. he's actually the one. If you take care of him, he's actually the one who's paying you. Right? Even if it goes through the bank's accounts and stuff like that. But still, he's the one. Well, the most expensive client, uh, employees to get rid of are, are the ones who, who, who manage clients. The right. bank knows that. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, funny, funny stuff. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's. I, I like when we explore different venues and we start to see, at a certain level, the foundational concepts are almost similar. So managing a clientele list in a financial industry is sort of the same thing as managing somebody in the fitness industry. And the reason that's the case is that there's a level of trust that's required that they come to you with. And after that trust has been established, it's your job to maintain and build upon it. It is difficult to walk around in that kind of business where you are taking advantage of others without delivering exactly. value. Right? Yeah, you cannot. You, can, no, you cannot you afford to do that. You can't afford to do that. For instance, if I'm... Okay, look at... Well now, now we're coming back from, <laughs> from the very beginning where I talked about the slick Swiss bankers, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, you have the Swiss slick banker, his nice suit, uh, blue or red tie, whatever, and... Uh, he just flies in and out of Geneva or Zurich uh, to meet his clients, but otherwise he never sees them on Limat or, or, or Paradeplatz or whatever. And uh, those are places in, in Zurich. Um, here, I, 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 I could I could take advantage of a client, but what I do is I would never do that because these these are people's uh, these are my neighbors. These are people I see in the town all the time. Right. I, but yeah, I could never do that. Uh, Otherwise, I would just have to hide my face here, and that's that's sort of um. It would be really stupid to take this advantage, because uh, to to get a slightly better bonus because I I managed to do this year better than last year, right? But what's the point? I, right. I really don't get the point. Right, but right, if right. you if you if you if you're somebody if if you never see your own uh, private bank or wealth manager, if if it lives in the same town, that gives you a sort of a insurance that he, he probably if he's not a total asshole he's probably not going to take advantage of it right? right right fair enough all right so uh stefan it's been a, a great conversation are there any other topics you wish to touch upon that we haven't covered yet now nah, uh, if if somebody's interested in um, if somebody's interested in the actual how i do my comics yes please yeah, yeah. enlighten us yeah uh, okay the story behind that is that, all right, 
drawing, comic, okay, the writing is, uh, it takes as much time as it always takes, but then we come to the actual drawing part, right? And the drawing takes a lot of time. And uh, if, you, if you draw backgrounds, if you draw characters, and if you have to draw in four times, if you have four panels or three times, if you have three panels, that takes like hours. And uh, I don't have that much time. Um, what I did is then I, I saw Scott Adams once draw because it's some sort of a problem with his hand. He couldn't draw on paper for some reason. I wasn't really paying attention. Right. Right. Uh, what I saw then was that he had this video where he actually had a computer or a, or, um, or a computer screen, a touch sensitive computer screen where he draws digitally on. And it was one of those Wacom computers. And that was also one of those instances. I have to. Emil, I have to get me one of these babies. And I bought it. I took the software. Okay, the, the software learning, the software was the hard part because, you know, learning new software is always hard. At the beginning, slow and slow. But now, nowadays, I, I can just, I can just uh, draw my, my rough sketches, do my inking everything and just delete one layer I just I put one layer after the other and just delete the ones I don't want and then voila I get it but the fun part is that once you have these like Adobe uh, and on Photoshop um, has these libraries so what I do uh, is I already draw I've already drawn almost all of those characters in different positions. If I need a finger pointed this way, or if the economist standing like this, or maybe bend over, or with the stick this line, <laughs> I've already I've already drawn them. I just can put them all in a library. So whenever I need whenever I need the economist to point with his pointing stick at the at the at the screen, looking at the bird, I just pick him out. I don't have to draw him anymore. It's an immense time saver. Because one of the things is also in business or in uh, arts is if whenever you can save time, just do it. Right. Yeah. So, and, so uh, question: When yeah. you because I look at the New Yorker, it's usually just like a white background with just a couple of doodles. I imagine the reason they do that is to save all this time from having to put rich backgrounds. Is that a choice you deliberately made because you didn't you wanted to put some more quality and love into your work, or is it just that that's not your style? You mean the white backgrounds are not my style? Yeah, like the ones, because I can imagine you could do what it is, because your but, message and your, your facial expressions on your characters, from what I gather, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where you evocative, uh, evocative, ugh, evoke the, the emotion in your um, readers, yes. and the story is what brings them back. So those are your two important elements. The rest of it is just a, uh, I would imagine, is just a expression of love for what it is you do. Because you yes. could probably get away with just doing the facial expression and the lines, and it would still get the message across. But is it that extra layer that you do it because you enjoy it, or is it just that you never really like the style of having that white background with just a couple of dotted lines and a, and a quirky line uh, to, to send the reader off with? It's a, bit, a little bit of both, and uh, it's a bit of both because I think um, I, like, I, like, I like how it looks. And uh, for me, it's an aesthetic thing, too. Um, I'm old school that since I want it to look crisp and nice and beautiful. Mm. Mm. And uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, but at, at least it has to be beautiful. And somehow, I just, the same thing with the backgrounds. I just, once I get a good background that I've created, I just kind of, uh, I just drop the opacity so it doesn't 
it's, it's not as easily visible as, as the main character, so it's not highlighted. But mm. in my opinion, it kind of conveys a feeling. Yeah? Right. Okay, now we're right, in right. office. Now we're at a bomb site. Or now right. we are at a hospital or whatever I want to, or, or laboratory, right? And right. It, once you see that, it, you, don't, you don't think about it, but you feel it. And right. uh, I, could, I could do that. I could do the lines, which is the most important part. Then you have the characters with the facial expressions that uh, convey emotions. That's right. This is the second most important part. But then I think that's the background. And it's not that difficult anymore. I don't draw that difficult. Uh, when I need a new background, okay, that's the difficult part. If, if I need to draw uh, a new expression for somebody or a, po a pose, that's a difficult part. That takes, that takes time. But I always save them afterwards. And now I've accumulated a sort of a... Um, an inventory of all kinds of characters and, and positions and poses and stuff like that. Mm. That I just mm. drop them in whenever I please and then I just look at it, what suits best. And that you saves me a lot of. Yeah, no, but uh, I'll tell you that as I'm hearing you, it's like uh, we're cut from the same cloth, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So right. the code I write is typically back end code that nobody really sees unless you're a back end engineer. Yeah, yeah, the, the real right? coding. The, yeah, yeah, the, the heavy yeah, not, lifting not front stuff. end, not front end anymore. Just oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like yourself, I I look at the code and I go, okay, how do I express this so that the person who eventually stumbles onto this because they have to maintain my code, maybe I'm not here, that mm -hmm. I want them to express joy and be grateful that I was the guy who left the code behind, as opposed to anger and frustration and cursing my name because the code was <laughs> clever and it wasn't well commented and it, and it takes a little extra time. And it's kind of like uh, you're doing something that maybe one other person in the entire world will ever look at. And sometimes I get, ex you know, I get this layer of joy, and I'm like, oh my god, look how beautiful this code is, and look, look what I did. And my partner who works with I'm me does not care. He's like, I don't care. I'm, I'm not looking at this. I'm like, you know what? You're just like a killjoy. But one day somebody is going to look at my code, and they're going to thank me for the fact that I wrote it with care and diligence. And it seems to me like you do the same with the backgrounds of your, uh, with your comics. Bingo. That's exactly what I do. And I think uh, it, it tells a lot about a person, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if they take care, if they if they take joy in the work, uh, put just that, you know, just that little bit extra, you know? just that little bit extra. It's like a, when when we have a, for instance, if you have a client and a, a reclamation, right? Something went wrong. What's, what do you do? You drop immediately everything you're doing and aggressively try to fix it and then you just add a little bit extra what the what the client didn't expect from you to do it's not mm -hmm. just if, if i overcharge or the bank overcharged a thousand dollars for something right because mm -hmm. mistakes happen uh, right or, 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 or an order went in late because of some computer glitch and i cost right. them a thousand euros i don't just right. do that you fix it immediately and you fix it a little bit better for instance, right. you give him 100 extra or 50 extra or whatever. It doesn't matter as long as it's that little extra. And that's a huge selling opportunity after that. Because then he knows, I can trust this guy. And not right. just, just, for, just for that stuff. Because that's huge. I'm actually waiting for reclamations nowadays. I used to hate them because it, it kind of conveys that I'm, I'm, um, I don't know what I'm doing. But they, they happen so infrequently. And at some point, everybody makes a mistake unless you're doing nothing, right? Right, and, right. And then you just use it as a selling opportunity. Yeah. And we have a, we have a, a sort of saying in, in, in our uh, department with Yarmo, the guy I mentioned before, it's like that every sell is a reclamation opportunity and right. the other way around. Right. right. So it's, there you have a 
you turn a, a wheel that keeps on moving. Yeah, no, that uh, see, I, I look at that in the same way when I um when I when I think about you know sales and negotiation and whatnot. What I always do is I go, let's find the one thing people don't want to do, right? One, the one part of their job they hate, the one part of their you know life that they don't really want, and everybody hates it, so nobody wants to do it. But that's actually just an opportunity in disguise, right? So if you can somehow take something that's painful and annoying and make it fun and inject emotion into it so that they not only don't want to avoid it, but they actively seek you out to do so, then what will happen is by default, it'll compound in a way that they will recommend other people to you yes. because you looked at an opportunity and instead of running from it and like, you know, being all upset about it, you took an actual pain point and you turned it into an experience of joy. And people, you know, when they hear this stuff, they think, oh, whatever, that sounds like some jargony sales rep stuff. It's not. It's really the difference between having a customer base that naturally organically grows with word of mouth versus one that doesn't care because you're just the same as the guy next to you. Right? So yes. It's that little thing that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't agree more with that. I couldn't agree more with that. Because I, there are surprising little guys out there who, who you know, it's called integrity, isn't it? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, it is. so you promise something, you keep your word, right? And and then it's easy to be to be friendly and um, when everything is going good, right? Yeah. The, the one thing I do because everybody calls clients when the market's going up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, I I keep in touch with my clients too, but mm. I take extra care of of holding hands mm. when the market is tough because mm. nobody else will ever call it. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable call. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable call. Nobody wants to call. Nobody's going to sell stocks when they drop it, right? But mm-hmm. what, if you have a client who has already bought stocks and stocks uh, are coming down and, and then you take a look at it, okay, maybe there's something to do. Maybe this is just a crap company and just let's sell it. Let's sell something off. Can you sleep at night? Okay, let's just take you off a little bit of the risk and so you can sleep at night. But I'm not selling. I'm just, I, I'm just letting them know that I'm there. Right, right, right. If you make I mean, those tough choices, if you make those tough choices, you separate yourself from all the others, uh, from, from the crowd. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. So um, one question I had for you was if somebody was, if there's a young person listening right now and they wanted to really get into the world of uh, illustrations and comics and cartoons and things of the sort that you're uh, doing as a, as a side hobby and a passion, how would you advise them to start? If you could tell, if imagine you were just doing this today, what would you tell yourself? Mm. Ooh, um, well, if he if he really likes it, he would probably have some sort of inspiration like Bill Watterson or or Scott Adams or Fernandez Ibanez in my case, for instance, or Uderzos from the Asterix. He would have them. You have to draw, just just mm. draw. And, um, uh, just to read, but the drawing is really not the most important part. It's the writing. Focus on the writing, and uh, and in the writing, get emotion. Uh, once you once you have the emotions there, it's cool, and you get emotions if you have good characters. Mm. So um, just just kind of just kind of bouncing uh, against each other, and you create friction, stressors, emotions, and there your stories come from. And it helps a lot if you have some sort of a passion that you want to, a message or a story story that you that you want to convey. And if you get that right. Um, your style can be anything uh, from 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 the drawing part, right? And if you want to make it really easy, because um, let's say let's say you have um, you have something you want to convey an idea, and you have the the characters built in that that 
generate emotions and you have good writing and you can draw somehow and uh, either perfectly or, or, or just sketches, then you have to come to the thing, okay, okay, all of this is taking time. So how do I, how do I manage my time? Um, so that I'm not going to spend, you could, I could spend every morning till evening just drawing and writing. It's not going to happen because I have to go to a job and I have to get, drive my kids to practice and uh, to kindergarten and uh, make dinner, etc., etc. So I have to manage my time aggressively. And uh, the one thing that helped me was just these Vacom. Vacom, the Japanese company, it's, uh, they make fantastic tablets, pressure-sensitive tablets. Learn, uh, learn the Photoshop, learn uh, Illustrator. Um, you're going to say, once you learn this, everything is going to be so much better, so much faster, and um, you can always send it then to, to build an audience, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your choice. If I would have known this before, I would have saved myself tons of time. <laughs> That's I always stopped. the case, right? Yeah, I, I never, I, I didn't go any schooling. I didn't, never, I just did it. I just did it. I just drew whatever made uh, fun. I just drew whenever I, uh, what I wanted. Um, I flipped it around. I thought that the drawing was the most important thing, although I should have focused on the writing. I learned that the hard way. Um, did all the drawing always on paper, thinking of nothing else. I found the computers, just saving me a lot of time. And the thing is with the thing, also, if you enjoy it and it's fun, just keep doing it. For it. I don't have a goal with this. It's a, it's, other than that, it would be great if this would somehow like um, be a huge success and just from from being a side business, a side gig, to be my prime thing it would be huge. But that's not that's that's not like I'm I'm not. Um, yeah, what's what's the word now? It's a, it, if it doesn't happen, it's not like it's not me that I failed somehow. Uh, the thing is here, a couple things can happen. All right, either I'm having fun and um, this this doesn't really go much further than it is, or it actually turns into something really big. Either way, I'm having fun, and this is a sort of a, a all upside and no downside situation. I love situations like that. Think that that should cover us at advice. Perfect. No, no, that's definitely uh, good advice. Like you said, uh, we we touched on this earlier, which was that if it's not fun, you're not going to be able to, to withstand the the learning curve, uh, no. sort of speak, right? Yeah. So, no, no, no. You're, it's like uh, if you want to, people want to be great investors or, or um, great uh, investment bankers and stuff like that, and then they go into that. Uh, it's really boring if you can't handle that. For instance, okay, because all all skill takes hours, hours and hours of work, and to get those hours, you, you need the motivation. And motivation. If you're not interested in this kind of stuff, what you're doing, you're never gonna, you're never gonna get those active energy filled hours into it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So uh, uh, the advice, the closing advice here would be just uh, make sure that you enjoy it. Even if you don't enjoy it, uh, you still need the, because at the end of the day, when the, the fun runs out, that's when everything stops. Because as long as you're having fun, even if it's difficult and nobody else likes it and, you know, what all that stuff, because I've, I've been in a startup before where it was just a grind all day long. But as long as, you know, we loved what we were doing, it, it allows you to just uh, survive long enough that you may actually, to borrow a phrase from Mike, to fall over an opportunity, right? So right. Sort of the same. Same advice that applies here. 
So in closing, do you have any recommendations for books and artists other people can check out, um, things that have inspired you, that have helped you along the way in, in either career path? Actually, do. Actually, do. Um, let me think about that. That was that. If if you want to do drawing, oh, let me just let me just have a look. That was somebody just asked that for me, and I I've used this book. He used to draw Tarzan. Um, it's dynamic draw, dynamic figure drawing, I think. Let's just have a look. There we go. By Bern Hoger. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anything okay. by Bern Hoger. Dynamic figure drawing. That's something. Um, because even I draw simple cartoons, but I could do it. I could do way more complicated stuff too. But I, I prefer the simple stuff. But in order to get the simple stuff to work, you need to know how a body moves, how to draw a, bo a body in different positions, just to get it correct. Like, just like with the writing, funny looking, funny writing is sharp and to the point and, and, and succinct. The same thing with funny looking uh, ca uh, cartoons. You, It's simple because you know the complexity behind it. Um, but dynamic figure drawing for Bern Hogarth is from the drawing, drawing side. Then if you want to know how to write funny, I recommend any of Scott Adams's book. His books, um, he, yeah, he has a formula for funniness there too. They have six elements. He just makes two at least, and you get something funny. You can look it up in Google. Um, if you're interested in finance, or, or otherwise, any of Nassim's books, all of them are great. Mm. Uh, my favorite is Fool by Randomness um, and Anti-Fragile. Uh, Fool by Randomness, any because I found Nassim. Through full by now, full by random, it evokes the most emotions. And uh, then uh, just read history books, uh, like like for instance, um, um, I like I like to read history books about uh, failed failed investors because mm. that kind of tells you what not to do. Mm. And uh, Niederhofer is a good one, or, or Edwin Lefebvre. I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's the reminiscence of a stock operator. It's excellent stuff. Um, Maybe it's something like the Fomania's panics and crashes. Uh, mm. So if you want to go into that, just look at history. And you, you get a really good feeling about that. Right. Ooh, ooh, and one more thing is Fortune's formula. Also very good. Fortune's tells you about formula. the story. Yeah. Tells you about the story about the Kelly formula from uh, Shannon and uh, Ed Thorpe. Mm. Very, very good stuff. Very, very Excellent. good stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all your uh, recommendations, your stories, and your insights. Uh, we really appreciate... Uh, uh, the, the sharing that you've uh, provided us with today. What we're going to do is we're going to create a list of all the books and recommendations, so it'll be on the uh, episode. Uh, wow. Okay, excellent. Uh, so aside from that, is there anything else you, you'd like to say as a closing remark? Uh, that's pretty much it. Keep your expectations low. Right? <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Stefan. We appreciate. Hey, you thank you very much for for having me in the show. I really I really appreciate the work you're doing. I think uh, I think you guys are artisans just like well, I am. And building we up try. an audience. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but you, you just keep going because uh, you never know what you can't just stop after a few. You have to so, see if, if it's gonna fly, you have to you have to go for a while. Yeah, yeah no, we true. appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thank you very much. Have a great it was a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Likewise. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. The truth is any conversation worthy of having will inherently be a risky one. Thank you for listening. Stay anti-fragile and carry on the ancient tradition and your own unique way of saying what only you can say and doing what only you can do. Abiding by Milton's words, 
this is Ember Sadat and Ace Delirious signing off, wishing you the very best of worthy and risky conversations.